The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmilzer. And welcome, for those of you that are listening to our podcast when we just come out with them, welcome to 2022. For those of you that are listening to this later in the year, you're probably thinking it's been 2022 already. Why am I even listening to the welcome? But I have to say, for those of you listening to our podcast, one of the things that we like to do at the beginning of every year is really provide some insights and forecasts and trends as to where we think things are going to happen in this upcoming year. I think one of the things that we're going to do a little bit more differently, I think, on this podcast than we may have in previous ones is instead of trying to come up with some crazy out of the blue predictions on whatever, (laughs) we're going to actually provide some insights into our market intelligence and what it is actually saying about the many different corners of the AI automation data and analytics markets that we are tracking and give you an idea from that, from what our research is telling us, where we think things are, are heading into this upcoming year. Exactly. We always like these podcasts because it gives us a time to, you know, look back and reflect on what we've seen and then also, uh, you know, make some forecasts and trends and kind of look look to say, OK, you know, where have the markets gone, been and where do we think that they are going in 2022? So if you're not familiar with us by now, uh, you know, if this is one of your first times joining the podcast, the AI Today podcast has been going strong for many years now. We're well into season five and we uh, you know, our, Ron and myself are analysts at Cognolytica, which is a AI-focused research advisory and education firm. And beyond just AI, we also cover, you know, as Ron mentioned, automation, analytics, uh, data. So not purely focused on artificial intelligence. And it gives us, a, you know, a, a good perspective into the market. We <laughs> cover and track about now over 20,000 vendors in this space, which is a lot of vendors. So we wanted to spend some time today really diving deep into a few different areas. And then also at the end, we'll kind of share where we're headed with Cognolytica in 2022 and the podcast as well. So definitely stick around to the end to hear about that. But Yeah. So first we just, you know, wanted to get into maybe some of the spaces that we're seeing and uh, I'll let Ron start with the first one because it is an area that we have been tracking for many years now and actually just got some research, a snapshot out on that uh, in late 2021. Yeah. So for those of you, as Kathleen mentioned, you know, we cover about 54 different coverage areas in this general area of AI, cognitive technologies, advanced analytics, automation, digitization, and some of the more advanced uses of uh, data. And uh, we produce market research that tracks not only the vendors, but also what the end users are doing. A lot of our research comes not just from listening to what vendors are saying. We we, we do listen to them, we hear what they're saying, but of course, you know, they're trying to sell something. So you, you have to take a little bit of what they say 
uh, with a grain of salt, you know, and sometimes they're ahead of the market. You know, they, they're innovative companies. They're building stuff in anticipation that customers may want that. But, you know, <laughs> sometimes you're right. Sometimes you're wrong. There's something in this startup business called the product market fit. You come up with a product, sometimes the market doesn't want it. So a lot of our backside of our research is based on what the enterprises and governments and organizations of all types are actually implementing and they're actually doing. And as mentioned, you know, we have about 54 of those different coverage areas, and we'll provide some highlights into some of those coverage areas here. And what we're going to do, as Kathleen mentioned, is that we're going to be uh, focusing our podcast into all these different corners of the, uh, the AI markets. So one space that we have been covering now for many years, um, it was a little bit of a surprise to us when we first started covering this area as, as to how popular this would be, is this area called data labeling and annotation. And if you're not familiar with data labeling and annotation, and by the way, we're going to have a full podcast just on data labeling and annotation uh, very soon after this podcast. Um, it's the idea that we still need humans in the loop uh, because machines need to be trained on data. And of course, they don't know what data they're looking at. A human needs to tell them what this is. You know, when, when you give a machine an image, it doesn't actually see an image. It just sees a, a grid of pixels. It actually doesn't even see, it just sees numbers. It just says like, you know, the top left corner is zero comma zero comma zero. It's like, saying, oh, well, that's a black pixel. It doesn't tell you anything. It doesn't, doesn't know what it's looking at. But if I, if I, you know, give these images in this example to the machine and I say, this is an image of a cat and I give it repeatedly, then the computer could try to figure out what pattern of pixels, what pattern of numbers has a high probability of being a cat. That is actually a really fast way of defining how supervised learning works. Now, of course, there's many more uh, nuances to that. I could say, well, just a region of this image, I can draw a box around part of the image and say, ignore everything else just this part of the image is a cat and just this part of the image is a dog. And, and it can even be much more sophisticated than that. Data labeling covers a lot of different areas of trying to do it. Like there's, there's image annotation, video annotation. We can annotate text to say, this is text that means certain things, or we could say these are this, this text itself is a, is a kind of text, like it's an invoice or a contract, right? These are human concepts. Um, and you can also annotate uh, audio, you know, for things like uh, natural language processing and speech and all that sort of stuff. And we can even annotate things like sensor data. That's like 3D, three-dimensional, like if I've got sensors that are, you know, doing radar or LIDAR, and I got to make sense of this, what's called the point cloud, which is a bunch of literally a points <laughs> in a 3D world, be like, oh, this little bunch of points, that's a wall. So you should, probably should not run into it, right? There are tons of companies that that's all they do, right? That, that they just focus on providing humans to make the meaning to that data. Exactly. So, you know, as we said, we've been covering this space for quite some time. We do have other podcasts on this if, you know, you're interested in listening to that. But as Ron mentioned, we do have one coming up soon uh, that will specifically focus on what we're seeing now. We, at the beginning, I mean, there was maybe a dozen vendors that we were tracking in this space back in 2019. Now in 2021 and going into 2022, there's at least 133, probably more. Uh, there, you know, this continues, continues to grow. It's so crazy. It's like the number of, you know, companies that are either pivoting into this space or starting in this space just 
wow is what we have to say. It just continues to grow. So lots and lots of vendors in this space. And then, you know, as Ron mentioned, there's different types of data that you can label. And so one area that we have seen tremendous growth recently is this idea of synthetic data. And we've talked about this in some of our other podcasts, but really it's, you know, uh, you need to create data when you don't have it. So uh, we talk a lot about how Amazon Go did this, where they needed images and, uh, you know, action shots of different people, uh, you know, children, adults, taking things off shelves, doing different things. And to create that data, it would quite frankly be very difficult. So they use synthetic data in order to do that. We are seeing that space really growing as it relates to data labeling. Yeah. So obviously you can use synthetic data for things like generating uh, an image or or generating text. Actually, any of the data we can do, you can have a machine generated as long as it's you know, representative of what you think is going to be, it should work pretty well. Um, you know, when data labeling first started, you know, as a thing for AI and machine learning, it was actually built on top of an existing approach for, for getting humans to do tasks. Because as mentioned, we need humans to basically say this image is a cat or draw a box around something. And, and so crowdsourcing was actually the way that machine learning labeling happened in the early days. Uh, Amazon was one of the first ones to come up with this, something called Mechanical Turk. And in the early days, it wasn't even necessarily being used for machine learning. It was being used for other things like, you know, when they would add a million products a day, they would need people to say that this shampoo, you know, this picture is a shampoo bottle and it, and it's a shampoo bottle that should be in these categories, healthcare or, you know, personal care or whatever, you know, it should be there and it should be tagged with all these sorts of things. It's very, very difficult for machines to do that at the time. Still actually, by the way, is still pretty difficult for machines to do it accurately. So there are humans in the loop and, and that's what this crowdsourcing thing was. And a lot of the early data labeling firms came out of the crowdsourcing movement. And that has, that actually, what happened was that um, as things became more advanced, people needed more predictability with with uh, data labeling. And so we had a whole bunch of new companies who came out that just did data labeling. They weren't just generic crowdsourcing companies. They did just data labeling. And um, basically, there were two major sets of, of kinds of, of organizations that did this. Uh, basically a bunch of business companies that have traditionally been in services, you know, in areas of low cost of labor, let's be honest. And, you know, instead of just doing, let's say data entry or, you know, transcribing medical records, they're like, Hey, I can do data annotation. And this whole area of business processing out business process outsourcers just started offering data labeling services. We call these the managed labeling services vendors. And there's lots of them. As I mentioned, you know, we cover a ton of them in our, in our research report, which is, or snapshot of our research, which is out uh, now for for access. If any of you are interested, we'll provide a link in the uh, podcast show notes. But um, more importantly, um, you know, we don't even cover like probably half of them. There's probably tons of them that are not included in our report. Tiny companies from all over the world, right? Mostly services firms, not venture backed, just providing services, right? The second category of, of data labeling firms are what we call the full service turnkeys. These are the ones where like people don't necessarily want to uh, 
manage the projects themselves, or even if even if they're letting these um, managed leveling services firms manage them, they they want to have like a whole platform where they can you know have a dashboard, have quality control, and they can maybe even choose different labeling providers. So like you know maybe some labeling providers really good at text, and another one's really good at audio, and maybe another one's good at video. And these managed uh, these full service turnkey providers are doing that. Now the interesting thing is those are venture backed companies generally. So while the managed labeling services firms are generally service firms, the turnkey full service ones are generally venture backed and they have been raising some significant amounts of money and getting yes. some really big deals. Yes. <laughs> lately, right? And we've talked about that before, but I mean, there are some vendors out here that are just ginormo. The amount of money that they've raised is incredible, uh, you know, and they're heavy, heavy venture backed. And quite frankly, now that some of these companies are raising a ton of money, the others really need to as well to compete and stay relevant in the space. Yep. So I don't want to go too deep in this because we mentioned we're going to have a whole podcast on this. But basically, we have another category of tools and software that are are out. There's actually a lot of open source that's that's available um, and commercial tools, both on premise that if you need to run locally on your own data, not uploading stuff to the cloud, maybe because it's really difficult to do so or you can't for other variety of reasons, um, you can get the software and you can do the data labeling on your own. And, and with the big the big trends we're seeing, so talk about this, is that a lot of these tools and even a lot of the companies that are offering the, these services are starting to use AI and automation to assist, facilitate, automate, enhance, you know, speed up the whole labeling process. Originally, we didn't really see a lot of traction in this, but this area, we're starting to see a big acceleration. There's a big jump in just the amount of, of uh, automation and uh, AI that's being used. And so the labeling tools vendors, that's what they do. They're, they're going to be hot in that market. Uh, some of the full stack vendors are offering that within their platforms. The, maybe the, some of the managed labeling services providers are doing it. And I think really the big the big trend for 2022, the big forecast trend is if you're in this, if you're looking to buy data labeling services, you have a lot of choices that you can make. <laughs> the number of vendors out there is is pretty pretty uh, big. You know, obviously get a copy of our snapshot or get access to our cog access research because we keep tracking this like on a daily basis. Um, there's lots of choices. And I think one of the things that we have done, we have started to do in our research is what's called decision factors, which is how do you make a decision between not just two individual vendors, but like, how do you make a decision between categories? When do I use tools versus when do I use the full service provider versus when do we use the man, just a, a, a managed labeling service provider that's going to provide the raw uh, talent? Or maybe when do I use crowdsourcing, right? There are reasons to use everything. And what we've done is say, look, we're not going to put one vendor in a corner of a chart and say, this is it, because that's very foolish when you have so many different choices. So what we're going to do is we're going to tell you all the various choices, help you sort them out, help you make the best decision that's for you. And, and I think really the, the, the big prediction we have for this market, sort of moving on to the next one, is that the, the venture bank corner of this market, which is the, the the tools vendors, a lot of them are venture backed. There's a lot of open source, but really it's mostly these full service providers. They're going to have to step it up in 2022. One, because there's, as mentioned, there's so much money in this market that they are all starting to eat up uh, the, the corners of the market that they're, that they're in. They're going to start dominating corners of the market. Some are going to be really hot in, say, med- healthcare. Some are going to be hot in retail. Some are going to be hot in you know, government services. And as they start locking that business up, it's going to get harder and harder. 
also the full stack vendors, uh, they're going to start feeling the pressure, both from tools that are going to start automating a lot of this sort of stuff. And then just these hundreds of tiny little managed labeling service providers who are going to provide a lot of the same services, and maybe they will use some of the tools. And so um, we think that's where the pressure is going to be for 2022. Stick with us. We have a whole podcast dedicated on this. We'll share some more insights as to where we see the markets going. We'll provide even some forecasts as the total size in the market. We'll do some numbers and tell you kind of like where the vendors are at, split them up. So we will share all that on our data labeling podcast. But from a forecast perspective, hopefully we gave you some good insights into this corner of of the uh, AI universe. Exactly. And, you know, the whole point of this is to maybe introduce you to different markets that you weren't familiar with in AI or didn't realize some of the markets and areas we'll be talking in today's podcast are as hot as they actually are. Because when we started, we did not know that data labeling was going to be so hot. In fact, our earlier reports actually had data labeling and data preparation combined. And then we said, hold on, this is its, these are two separate unique spaces and they, they each deserve their own research and coverage areas and, and individual snapshots. So that's what we've done. And as we mentioned, data labeling has many vendors. It's grown from, you know, like a dozen or so that I said that we tracked to now well over 130 plus same for data data engineering and data preparation. Back when we started, we didn't have that many companies in here. Now we have at least 110 in this space. It is becoming ginormous as well. And that's, you know, a good thing. And so we continue to uncover different vendors in this space. And now we're tracking at least 110. So that's why we said, okay, you know, there's so many vendors in each of these unique spaces and they aren't really the same thing. You know, data labeling is one thing, data preparation and engineering is another. So that's why we've decided to separate it out, which is also, um, you know, a big insight that we've learned recently. So, you know, diving into it, you know, why is this so important and why is this one of our coverage areas and focusing on this? Well, a lot of companies are saying, you know, this data engineering and data lifecycle really is so important. And I need to make sure that I have one and that, uh, you know, I'm managing it correctly so that my projects will succeed. And, you know, what is what is this life cycle and how do I make these projects succeed? Yeah. So data. So obviously, if you've been doing any amount of work with data, you know that it, it's never clean. You never have the data you need. You have issues with with missing uh, bits of data. Maybe you have your data, but it needs to be augmented with third party data. Maybe the data needs to be transformed from one format to another. You know, maybe you, we need to um, select. Maybe we have too much data. We need to select the data. Uh, these are all aspects of what's of what's called data engineering, which is you think of it like a pipeline. You know data engineering, you know, we're building things, right? So we're trying to get data from wherever it is to where it needs to be. And along the way, we need to do all these steps to it. This is actually a growing area called data ops, which is which is really becoming a thing. You know, data engineering, which people did not really spend too much time talking about. I have to say, when we started our podcast in 2017, going into 2018, data science was the hot, sexy profession. There was even, I think, an article says data science is the sex, the new sexy position, job, or whatever it's called, title of the future. 
Um, and it still is kind of, maybe not. We'll talk about that later. But data engineering, I think in the past year or two has really come into its own. And people have realized that moving data around, manipulating data, dealing with data access issues is actually much more uh, central to the task of trying to extract value from it. Because once you have the data in the format that you need and cleaned and prepared and all sort of stuff, yeah, you can do a lot of great analysis. And we love data science and data science is really important. But if we don't have the data in that in where we need it and how we need it, um, we can't do anything. And so um, I think a lot of companies have realized this. The, the whole data markets have become hot. That's one of the things we're going to track. We are starting to track as Cognolytica. And we're going to spend more time here on the research is, What's happening with data lakes? What's happening with all these various different approaches, the data warehouses, data lake houses, data house lakes, I don't know if that is, house boats, swamps, who the heck knows? It's got all this stuff. We have all these different approaches. And what do they mean? Like why all of a sudden this company called Snowflake comes out of nowhere, you know, becomes a billion dollar company, goes public. Same thing is happening with Databricks and all these other companies are in the space. What does this mean? Why are we, did we just invent a new kind of database or something? Um, well, well, I think a lot of it has to do with the challenges of, of dealing with constantly changing what's called the, the eight Vs or the multiple Vs of big data. It's not just the big part, which is a lot of it, which is true, but it's the fact that we're growing at such a rapid rate and it's changing at a rapid rate. And it's in all these different formats and it's in different levels of quality. And we have to deal with sort of aggregating all of it on demand within a split, you know, microsecond, <laughs> you know, right. that's a big challenge. And so a lot of these vendors really emerged trying to deal with this challenge. So, so, you know, in this data engineering and prep space, we're definitely going to focus more time on that. We'll probably be digging deeper, lower level into the, into the data stack. And we see just a lot of new entrants into this market. Yes, there's some big vendors here, but there's a ton of opportunity here. And this whole data ops thing, the practice of managing data is a real thing. Exactly. And so we will be digging deeper into that. But like Ron said, you know, the trend that we're seeing is that there just will be more entrance into this space. Data ops is a real thing. And there is still opportunity in this market for other vendors in the space. So definitely stay tuned for additional podcasts, podcasts, insights, research from us on that as well. The next area that we wanted to talk about is machine learning platforms and, you know, where we're seeing uh, the market going with that, where we saw it in 2020, 2021, and, you know, where we're forecasting it to go into 2022. We are just continuing to see an expansion of these machine learning platform capabilities. It is, you know, a hot market. It is going to continue to be hot. Uh, and people are aware of it now, you know, and say, okay, I, I really need to focus on this. But with that, too, we also are seeing a consolidation in the market as well as you know, this becomes more of a thing. Different companies are acquiring other companies and really starting to consolidate and the leaders are pushing forward. Yeah, and I think um, I mean we've named a couple of vendors before. I, I, we're not trying to name vendors here. A lot, we we do mention all of these vendors in our research. So if you really want to see, for example, all 130 plus data labeling vendors and 110 plus uh, data engineering, I know say like plus the, because every day we know. discover a new one. <laughs> <laughs> It'll probably be 150 by the time we we we, we finish here. But um, you know, same thing with the machine learning platforms vendors, you know, we track them. There's also, we track the open source because we're not, you know, we're not trying to just focus on commercial vendors. There are, especially in the machine learning platform space, 
that's where it started. I mean, it was academic. A lot of the stuff, people who are built, the people who are building machine learning models 10 years ago were like in research institutions or had come out of research institutions and they're not buying like million dollars. You know, they don't have million dollar software budgets. So a lot of it's like, you know, stuff coming out of Python and R and Julia and all these languages, all open source, right? And they were all being used to build models. And actually a lot of these ML platform vendors started with these open source. One of the things we did in our research was say, hey, look, you know, we uh, if for machine learning platforms, you have these like, again, five or six different kinds of machine learning platforms. We have machine learning platforms in the cloud. We call machine learning as a service. We know who those vendors are, the big three, four, five cloud right. vendors, right? <laughs> We have a bunch of vendors that are just doing machine learning. But the thing is, those are the vendors that Kathleen just talked about. They were just doing, let's say, AutoML, or they were just doing, you know, maybe building deep learning uh, models or something like that, right? Those platforms, because they're like, oh, we need to do more than just, you know, AutoML. We need to do data prep. We just talked about, we may need to do machine learning ops, which we're going to talk about. Uh, We need to do all these things. They starting accumulating all those capabilities because the cloud vendors are accumulating them. So the machine learning platforms vendors are accumulating them too. But we have other well, choices. Also, as customers started to, you know, become more familiar with different areas and also need more as well. You know, I mean, the space continues to evolve. These vendors said, oh, we want to we want to keep these customers for as much of this business as we can. And so let's incorporate this so that one, it's easier for them and that, you know, they can come here and start to do more uh, rather than just auto ML. Okay, now let me help you prep your data and get your, you know, with data engineering, data preparation so that it's in a good usable state. And, oh, you need some data labeling help? Maybe we have that as well. And now, okay, now we can help you with whatever you need so that we really are able to help you in more areas of your journey as well. And and that's what we've started to see in the market. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think this is why our research approach, I think, works really well. It's like if you if you go to some some traditional analysts, what they'll try to do is say there's a vendor, you know, I was saying like, you know, somebody's in the top quadrant, you know, top corner somewhere. It doesn't matter whether it's a quadrant or a wave or a peak or a horse race. It doesn't really matter. Right. And that does that's not really helpful because the specifics of why you choose one kind of vendor, forget about the specific vendor, depend. If you have an environment where all of your data is locked behind a firewall, it's all on-premise, you're not going to be able to use the cloud machine learning solution. <laughs> I mean, it, just, it kind of goes without saying. Now, the cloud vendors have realized that, and they're like, well, we have some on-premise-like things you know, that you can do. But you know why just not start with with a platform that's already behind the wall behind your your premise? You can install software, it can sit on your servers, or maybe even on your laptop, right? You're not going to install a cloud on your laptop, but you can install analytics software that has machine learning capabilities. That's another category, not just these ML specific vendors, but we had companies that have been literally in analytics for decades, right? Companies going back to the 1960s and 1970s. All they've done is analytics, you know? And now they're like, hey, machine learning is another thing we can do. And they've added to their product line. And so the decision factors becomes key. When do I do certain things? And maybe I do multiple things. Maybe one group is working with software that they already have that they can use in their environment. And then maybe I could take their model and I could push that model to the cloud. And then my other group can work with the model in the cloud. And then maybe I need another group that needs sort of this full life cycle for machine learning from you know, data origination to model operationalization and management. 
they need something else. We can have multiple things. We don't have to be so fixated. So our forecast for, for the machine learning platforms market is that we could tell this is all a race to the middle. This is a race towards if there was like a set of things that you have to do with machine learning, all of these vendors are racing to that place, whether it's the cloud vendors, you could see this and, and I'll name a couple of names here, but not to single anybody out. But like, you know, if you go, if you listen to the AWS reInvent, if you were there, you heard all their announcements about machine learning. You could tell they're like, we're going to do MLOps. We're going to do data labeling. They actually announced the data labeling. Yeah. We're going to do data prep. They're running there. If you look at, say, what data robots doing, you know, they're they're acquiring companies. They're moving there. If you look at what companies like, you know, that are that are traditionally like an analytics, you know, SaaS, SAP, and MATLAB, they're announcing stuff, right? Mm -hmm. So everybody's running towards that middle point. Everybody wants to be the single vendor solution. Um, so yeah, we're gonna see, you know, some of these some of these startup companies that have raised a lot of money and are acquiring, they're gonna they're bound to go public or they're gonna get acquired, but most likely they're gonna go public. Um and I think the cloud vendors are just gonna continue just to keep aggregating stuff into their, their product. Like they're gonna they're gonna try to literally be the one-stop shop for everything on the platform. And as a customer, you have to make a decision as to whether or not you want to be part of the sphere of any of those that whole ecosystem yeah <laughs> you know we said there is no one machine learning platform to rule them all but as we continue to follow these markets they try and get closer and closer so we definitely will keep an eye on that now the next area that we want to talk about is machine learning operations or ml ops market we have produced research on this we have produced podcasts on this in fact some of our most popular podcasts talk about this subject that either with interviews or our coverage of this space this is a hot space it it continues to be hot you know from the past year maybe 2 years it's really just been hot and we do not see it slowing down it is you know really hot like i said but with all hot spaces, we do, like with this space, you know, we're seeing consolidation as well. So there's a lot of vendors in this space, but now they're starting to consolidate. So they're either being bought by other vendors. We have seen a few companies go out of business in this space as well, which was a little surprising to us. Uh, but, you know, it still is a really hot market. Yeah. So MLOps, we've defined it. We'll link to the uh, other podcast we've done on the subject. We'll probably do another podcast or two on it in 2022. Uh, we define what it is, but the idea is, of course, we need to manage the whole life cycle of machine learning models. We have to manage the life cycle of data with the managed life cycle of development. So we have DevOps, we have data ops, and we need to basically manage the life cycle of models because models continue to iterate. We have to do things with versioning and with access control. And of course, what's something called model drift and data drift. And there are all these tools in the space. But one of the things we've learned from DevOps and from data ops is that DevOps is not necessarily something you buy. It's something you do. And you can buy tools to help you do DevOps. Same thing, data ops is something you do. You do data ops and we buy tools to help us. ML ops is something you do and we buy tools to help us. Clearly, there's a need for these tools because, we because a lot of people are not going to be building them themselves. The thing, though, with this market that I think is different than the other markets we just talked about, so data labeling market, data engineering market, and ML platforms market, is that there's a saying uh, and for those who've ever raised money in venture capital, and one of, the, one of the things that smart investors will ask you is that, how do I know that your product is a product with the market and not just a feature? What I mean by that is that 
Um, there, these companies right now are the companies in the MLOP space are gap filling. They're filling a gap in the market. There is a need for all these tools. The question is, in the long term, do these companies that are focused just on MLOps can they exist separately from all the other companies that are doing different parts of AI data and machine learning? And it looks like the answer is no. That especially if you look that you know, as we mentioned, these cloud vendors continue to expand. These machine learning platforms continue to expand. The logical expansion point is adding MLOps. It doesn't make sense. If you think about it logically, it does not make sense for, for someone to be a customer of a machine learning platform vendor or a cloud vendor. And those platform vendors saying like, you know, we're going to do everything, but we're not going to do MLOps. The customer's going to be like, why are you not going to do MLOps? I, I have all my data in the cloud. I have my models coming out of your cloud environment, or I have all my data in your machine learning platform. Why would I not do MLOps or why would I go somewhere else to do it? And of course, it doesn't make logical sense. So so what's happening is that the MLOps vendor, vendors are pioneering uh, the space. Um, <laughs> there's another saying, and like, you know, one of the things about being a missionary is that all the arrows are in your back. So uh, <laughs> because you're kind of <laughs> leading your way through the through the jungle, right? Or the forest or whatever. And I think that's that's what's happening here. It's that like, you know, MLOps, they're pioneering their space. They're seeing what works, what doesn't work. But basically they're the cannon fodder because uh, some of them will get acquired. Some of them will just inspire others to basically build it themselves. Exactly. But in the long-term MLOps, is, MLOps will exist. And I think a lot of the specialized MLOps vendors probably going to start seeing, you know, by the end of 2022, um, we're going to start seeing the weeding out of the space. You know, a lot of the vendors mm -hmm. get acquired or maybe pivoting or doing doing something in their in their space. Exactly. So we, you know, are really our forecast is that by the end of 2022, we expect there to be very few standalone MLOps startups still around. They'll get acquired uh, by you know, some of the big players or, and some of the big players may just create their own as well. So that's the trend that we've been seeing. And that's what we are expecting to, to continue in that space. Moving along, one area that we have focused on for quite some time, and we are the only analyst firm that's actually doing this, is we're covering laws and regulations, especially as they relate to data and AI. And, you know, throughout the entire globe. So we don't just focus on the United States, but we focus on global laws and regulations. And the reason we do that is it's important to understand the landscape. Well, you know, as you're as you're looking to create new products, move into different markets that you maybe haven't been into, and just kind of get a pulse on what's going on. We said, you know, it's really important to see where things are going. And so for the past few years, we have been tracking this space. I mean, you know, like with, like with anything with laws and regulations, it takes time for them to really come to fruition. But we have started to see lots of discussion around this and actual laws and regulations be put in place. So you know, and these cover a variety of different areas as well. So, you know, from algorithmic decision making, facial recognition, autonomous vehicles, this has been like a super hot area, especially a few years ago that we saw. And then ethics. Ethics has always been a huge topic of discussion. It continues to be. And we do not think that that's going to slow down at all in 2022. So, you know, really kind of just digging a, a little bit deeper into a few of those areas that I had talked about, algorithmic decision-making. So this is, you know, where you're really taking the human out of the loop and having the algorithm 
make decisions for you. Whenever you're doing that, you need to make sure that you have really trained these systems. Your data doesn't have a lot of bias in it, uh, you know, that it's really representative of the larger community because that, you know, there's a lot of issues that can come into play with that. We've seen increasing scrutiny in this space and there's been some, you know, big blunders. Of course, you know, the stuff that just runs smoothly never makes the news, but the stuff doesn't that doesn't run smoothly is major, major headlines because that's what sells. So we saw that with, you know, uh, with uh, paroles, how it was discriminating against certain individuals. And we also saw this with loans, how, uh, you know, there were some big, big headlines about how it wasn't fair, even within families, uh, how certain certain people were getting uh, smaller loans and lines of credit than others in the same family. So, you know, this that that idea of algorithm algorithmic decision making just is going to continue to come under scrutiny. I think as headlines continue uh, to get out there and people are really understanding how this is being used. Uh, so um, from a law from a law perspective, um, you know, we definitely expect to see more laws around facial recognition use and algorithmic decision making. Um, you know, the area of autonomous vehicles, we're going to talk about this separately in terms of laws. I th- it looks like th- from a legal perspective, the uh, regulatory stance is actually pulling back a, bit, a little bit in terms of trying to be ahead of where the AVs are, because I think they're seeing that the, AV, that the autonomous vehicles are not necessarily gaining the market traction or they're not even able to do what they say they're going to do at this point. So there's a kind of a little bit of the we can afford to wait a little bit before we start putting laws on the books with regards to autonomous vehicle usage. There are, there are a few jurisdictions in, around the world, whether it's it's, you know, different countries or different regions or counties or even cities with, with laws and rules. But I, th- I think sort of like the pace of that is kind of gone into let, let's sort of wait and see uh, exactly. on that. And we saw that really a few years ago because those were the regions or the states or the countries that wanted to have those companies come to those areas and, you know, attract talent and draw jobs to the region. And we've started to see kind of a pullback in uh, autonomous vehicle investment. We'll talk about that more in one of our later forecasts. And so I think that that's why we haven't seen as many laws and regulations around autonomous vehicles. Yeah. I think that's sort of the big underscore is there is a big tech pushback happening um, around the world. You know, uh, you might have, you know, first Europe was a sort of first on the books to be like, you know, they haven't exactly always been fans of Microsoft, Google, Facebook, and any of those guys, uh, <laughs> Amazon even. Uh, but we're starting we're seeing it even here in the United States, you know, the home of all those companies where you'd think that, you know, there wouldn't need to be a big tech pushback. But there is there's a big push tech pushback, especially since the elections. And so that may find its way into various laws. So we're going to keep an eye on that for sure. In 2022, that'll be a big focus for us in this upcoming year. One of the things that we have done is we've tracked sort of where countries are with their strategy. You know, a lot of con- countries have been very strategic about uh, AI and being ahead of, they want to be ahead of what they believe is a a, a new economic, you know, growth area. You know, they don't want to be caught uh, behind the eight ball, right? And and for and it's like almost every country in the world has an AI strategy of some sort, whether it's you know 
uh, investment directly in research or it's um, some strategy around you know use or getting ahead of, of it or something to do with their empl- with their employment and their, their that sort of stuff or education uh, however however they're they're looking at that yeah, we've recently, we've had many interviews in the 2021 with sort of at this country level uh, with people who are involved in in their country level strategy, right? Right, we have. And you know, and and we've been tracking this space for a while as well because and we continue to see new countries come up, you know, not new countries, but countries come up with their own strategy. Uh our listeners may know that we run the AI in government series and we actually in December of 2021 had Albert King who's the chief data officer for the Scottish government on so they would so that he could talk about the Scottish AI strategy that was published in March of 2021 and they are looking to execute that. We've also talked to the country of Mauritius, we've talked to Hungary, we've talked to the country of Colombia and many others as well as they continue to move forward with their AI strategies. So, you know, we still see countries coming up with it. But one trend that we have seen is since COVID and the pandemic really hit, um, and it's forced us to, you know, work from home, make a lot of different changes, some of them immediate. Now I feel like we've sort of settled into a routine, but it's really caused a shift into priorities. And I think that the COVID pandemic really has just put a reset on this country level AI strategies. Some of them were incredibly ambitious. Within just a few years, they wanted to become AI leaders, especially in certain areas, or they wanted to move forward with with different things. And we've seen some of those goals uh, not get met. And I think that a lot of that had to do with with the pandemic kind of making uh, changes and shifts in priorities. Yeah. Um, so so uh, even here in the United States, you've seen a, a bit of a pullback in terms of the um, rates, the speed of which of AI adoption. Not to say AI adoption is not happening. It is happening uh, across both defense and civilian parts of the government and, and the strategy is. But if you remember from the previous administration, it was like every year, you know, there would be some like new big AI strategy and this would happen. And, you know, we would invest in this way and 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 there would be like these new groups and there'd be these meetings at the White House, which we weren't invited to, by the way, White House. Thank you very much for that. But any, <laughs> no hard feelings because none, nothing has really come out of it. And and actually, it's kind of better to be in this position of being on the outside, observing kind of what's happening than trying to be on the inside and move whatever the gears are of the government, which nobody really understand how they move in any case. So um, we did see a reset and this new administration has other priorities. And and these other priorities are, I mean, that's the AI is not on that list of priorities, but it's not at the same rank. So something to keep keep an eye on. And we will definitely keep an eye on that. Right. So the next sort of uh, area that we spent some time looking at in uh, 2021, actually on behalf of some of our customers, and this actually allowed us to expand our research, is this area of digitization and digitalization. Maybe we can explain what that is and kind of where we see things going with taking things that are not digital and making them digital. Exactly. So, I mean, basically the idea is taking things that are not digital documents that you have and and other things and making them digital so that you can search for them easier and have them, you know, stored in your digital space. We actually, as Ron mentioned, had inquiries from 
some of our customers to say, we, you know, this has been a dream, I think, for many decades now of having this digital office and digital transformation. And we're still really far away from this. I think this was actually uh, pre-pandemic that we had this inquiry. So, uh, you know, I don't know, it, it wasn't pandemic related, but they definitely had good foreshadowing knowing that they were going to need this. And it's, you know, that idea that you you can't store everything in paper, hard documents, because not everybody will have access to that. If you have offices spread out throughout the country, you don't have access, or if you're working from home and you don't have access to your file cabinet. So, you know, you really want to take those non-digital assets and make them digital. So that's this, you know, very general idea of digitization. What we're seeing now is the need for this has grown dramatically and basically overnight once we had this work from home situation, we weren't allowed in offices. And now even if if people are back in offices, it's not full time. It's just maybe a few days a week uh, for some people. So we've really seen seen this need where you need to digitize your documents. Digitization has become very important. And there are many vendors in this space that traditionally have offered this because this idea has been around for decades. So it's not a new idea. We've seen, you know, so we've seen many vendors in this space, but the need for this is growing. Uh, One trend and, you know, forecast that we've seen is that, especially in the federal government, they are not where they need to be when it comes to digitization. And it seems to be somewhat troubled. You know, they are not moving at the speed that they need to, and they they need to step it up, quite frankly. Yeah. So um, we have a couple of notes here. Obviously, it's like you can't do any analysis. You can't do any sort of real automation, uh, let alone anything intelligent like uh, cognitive intelligence or content intelligence. And you're trying to do anything without the, the things being digital. I mean, obviously, if you have a piece of paper, I can't do anything. The computer can't do anything with it. Right. Or, or it's not even just paper. It could be voicemails or emails that are digital, but you're not doing anything with them. They're kind of like sitting there. Um, and so there have been a ton of vendors in the space. This is actually kind of an old market. This goes back to like scanning and faxing and, you know, all this sort of stuff. And there've been vendors that have been in there since those scanning and faxing. Heck, there are companies in this digitization space that are companies like that you would recognize Canon and Epson and, you know, Zoe, you know, these, these companies that have been in sort of the, the, this graphics business, you know, or or like the, the, the scanning business. And, um, you know, they're kind of like sleepy companies. I mean, these are not minor companies, but they're sleepy. They're kind of sitting there on sort of this traditional old models, and they're not really pushing things much. And there have been a bunch of things that have sort of called into question this, like the whole, um, not just all the things that Kathleen mentioned about work from home and that sort of stuff, but even in the area of things like voting, where we had electronic ballots, you know, um, that, that's a digitization, that is a digitization problem. And there's lots of things like that with surveys and government services. And, and of course, this in the banking world, the real estate market and mortgages have moved away from paper documents. You can doc, you, you can docu-sign things, you can email, and of course, that has allowed them to get all this intelligence. Mortgage and insurance companies can get tons of intelligence because everything is, is, is digital. They have a paper trail for everything. And digitalization, sort of the difference between digitization is making digits out of things, right? Which is, you know, bits right? out of hard stuff that's not bits, right? Digitalization is taking things that are not digital, which is more about the process. Like 
human approvals, human reviews, uh, you know, literally cutting and pasting things, you know, making those processes digital, which of course leads into our next area. We're going to talk about process automation. These two things are linked. Digitization and digitalization are linked. The more you can do one, the more you can do the other. I'm going to make a call out here to the vendors. If any vendors are listening here that are in the process automation space, I'm going to say that the digitization space needs to be subsumed within digitalization. All you high-flying companies, the UI paths, automation anywhere, the blue prisms, you guys should acquire and take over the digitization space because the motivation that you have, these other companies, these sleepy companies, they're not getting into process automation. They're gonna, they're happy to sit there with their old faxing software or whatever and just sit on their faxing business or whatever business for decades, right? And just sit there and do nothing or get their scanners out there and be like hardware equipment vendors, right? I think this market is ripe for, for uh, the, all the software process automation vendors to come in and, and, and really push this, this digitization and this digital transformation moving forward. Mm-hmm. And we're going to, we're going to focus on this because yeah, I mean, like, you know, of the, of the, we actually have a, like 120 digitization. Or digitization. It's a lot of them. Like Ron said, it's ripe for some shakeup. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, I feel like we're talking to Dunder Mifflin, like half the time, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I know. you know, with, <laughs> Guys, I don't know. But anyway, so so let, let, mm. let, let's see if we could shake it up in 2022. If not, it's going to continue to be, if, if it's not shaken up, it'll continue to be sleepy and boring and it will make like one or 2% change in the market. But uh, anyway, <laughs> this kind of leads us into the next area of coverage. Exactly. So the next area that we want to talk about is intelligent process automation and RPA, robotic process automation. So we've talked about robotic process automation on on many podcasts. Really, it's just robotic process automation. So there really is no intelligence in it. It's automation. Automation is incredibly useful, can do a lot of incredible things, but it's not intelligent. And so we've seen uh, big vendors in the RPA space say, okay, and, and RPA space has just blown, blown, blown up. There's a few that are really leading the pack, but there's many vendors in there. And they said, okay, well, if, if we want to do more, we want to get to that next level, we need to add intelligence. And so that's where, you know, intelligent process automation comes in. And that's really, uh, you know, both areas of what we cover. So the automation, and then also how they're bringing intelligence into it. Automation really is taking a front seat. We have just seen increased adoption and optimization in this space, especially due to COVID. Multiple or, you know, many, many organizations, government organizations, private sector have said, wow, we really need to, we need to have processes automated and we need to have certain tasks automated and have adopted it. And it's been incredible. It's really sped up different processes, made things way more efficient. Even the non-intelligent automation, we saw the SBA back when we had, uh, you know, the PPP loans, they brought in automation. Without that, banks and the government would not have been able to process loans as quickly as they did, we would probably still be dealing with it now. The backlog, if we had to rely solely on humans, would just be tremendous. And you really saw the banks that adopted automation and the ones that did not, the ones that did not struggled. And it was it was bad. So <laughs> it, knowing firsthand, Ron and myself, exactly. uh, it was not fun. So you know, we have seen tremendous value with automation and it continues to increase companies. You can get really quick, short-term wins, huge ROI return on investment from it 
we, we, this market is just going to continue to grow. Yeah, it's just, it's going to continue to grow. I mean, like, um, you know, all power to the folks who are like the, the vendors in the space that are really dominating here. And, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, you know, just they're, they're selling, sometimes vendors sell snake oil or, or, you know, smoke and mirrors, but that's not the case with process automation. There's some legitimate real wins. And as Kathleen mentioned, we actually had this experience. We had one bank that we were working with for our own PVP loan. You could tell they were using paper forms and human processes. This goes back to the previous thing. That slowed everything down. They were terrible, non-responsive. Stuff was not happening. It would take like- it Errors took as well. I mean, because humans yeah. were processing so much, it just it was inevitable. Just because people make mistakes. We're not perfect. We're not machines, right? We're like, right. Yeah, that's actually the point. We aren't machines. So let machines do the things that machines are good for. We we had a, so we decided for the second loan, we're like, we're, we're going to actually change banks. So we moved to a whole new bank. We had created a new account. This bank got the loan application and approval in like, I think three or four days. And then we had to apply for the forgiveness. That happened. I had literally had to do almost nothing. I just had to go in there and say, yes, yes, I attest to this. This is true. I'm not lying. And 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 something else I had to say. And then the, the rest was happened happened automatically. They said, you know, chill. The SBA has to do their thing. And, and the SBA did their thing because they were automated on their side. Automation talking to automation works. Now, we have said many, many, many times, and we still say automation is not intelligence. Automation is about repetition. Automation is about efficiency. Automation is about taking well-defined deterministic things and doing them in the well-defined deterministic way. But automation and intelligence go together. The more we have automation, the more we could start applying intelligence. We could start dealing with things like process exceptions. We could start dealing with things like content intelligence, where we have to extract more value. And we could even feed the automation with things like non-digital assets. So honestly, this automation market is going to continue to be a hot market. The vendors will continue to be hot if these vendors are smart. Some of them are. And honestly, some, some of them, them are. are. Yeah. <laughs> some of them are not. And that's true too. <laughs> um, you know, uh, it's just going to continue to be a high point of ROI for for uh, it. And I think one of the things we're going to see is that customers, in terms of their own budgeting, we're starting to see this both in the enterprise and government, they're sort of shifting their longer-term ROI, AI, ROI value props, things like some of the more difficult things that may have, we have talked about this on our, on our failure series podcast, some of the things that are harder to show long-term ROI, they're shifting some of that money to automation. And they're saying, look, we're going to invest in automation first, and, and then we'll we'll get to some of these AI things, but we'll focus on the shorter-term ROI. We're definitely seeing that, especially in the government, and we're seeing that in many other uh, uh, enterprise areas as well. Exactly. And in 2021, we had our AI education series, and we talked, one of them was about RPA and when to use uh, bots. So if you're interested in that, we'll link to that in the show notes. We encourage you to listen to that podcast just to give you an overview if you're not familiar with RPA, as we didn't dig into it that much in this podcast. Uh, but it's definitely incredible whether you're at a vendor that does automation or you're at an enterprise organization or government agency that's looking to bring it in, you should definitely educate yourself on what's out there and how you can best use it because you will see pretty short-term and immediate uh, ROI from that. And it will, it will be amazing. <laughs> Another er area that we wanted to, to briefly talk about today was autonomous vehicles um, and intelligent cars. You know, back a few years ago when we started the podcast, there was 
lots of news, lots of buzz around autonomous vehicles. Trust me, this is a dream of mine. You know, I don't like driving. So if I could get in a car that would just drive me around, that is the ultimate dream for me that I do not need to drive anymore. And for a while, we were making some good progress. There was, you know, lots of news, lots of things going on with this. But Recently, we've started to see a shift away. You know, there have been some setbacks in the industry. Honestly, this, quite frankly, is a really difficult problem to solve. And to get to a fully autonomous uh, car where you do not have the human in the loop at all to make any decisions is proving quite difficult. There's been some notable fatalities with this. We had a podcast on the Uber fatality that happened a few years ago. There's been some... uh, you know, news around Tesla and their vehicles, their autopilot, and, you know, there unfortunately were were accidents that happened with that. We've started to see a pullback in the industry from investing in autonomous vehicles to moving towards spending their money on electrical vehicle enhancements and advancements. So, you know, taking a pullback from uh, self-driving cars to more environmentally friendly cars. And we think that that trend is going to continue and that because like we said, autonomous cars are just really proving um, to be a lot more difficult than people originally first thought that they would be. Yeah. Of course, some of the AI researchers will tell you, like we told you it was going to be difficult. <laughs> well, I know. <laughs> I, 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 it's one of those things that, you know, a lot of people see autonomous vehicles like, as the promise. We This was actually one of our more more recent podcasts. We talked about the failure series where we're like over-promising and under-delivering and, and autonomous vehicles is the over-promise. It's like, this is what we're promising you. We're promising you promising you vehicles that will drive themselves places. You don't even have to be in the driver's seat, just basically kind of go along for the ride as it were. But I think sort of the, the under-delivering, we're actually right now in the under-delivering phase, which is clearly we're not there yet, right? And there's a lot of questions like, well, how long is, will, will it take for us to get there? This is not like building a bridge where you know what the beginning is and the end is, and you can kind of see how long things are taking. But like, okay, we'll give us like, you know, X many months more and the bridge will be done. This is a, we don't actually know how many steps it's going to take. Like we, we see where the beginning is. We see where we are now. We see where we need to be. But like, is, is this a solvable problem in a short amount of time? Will there be acceptable risks? I think the problem are the car companies, actually specifically one or two companies who are promising uh, uh, autonomous vehicles well ahead of the ability to actually deliver it, full self-driving. Um, it is a little bit um, a question as to as to responsibility there. And I think the customers who are buying that need to be aware that the $10,000 or $15,000 extra they are spending might not deliver level five autonomy. They may get level two, level three, you know, uh, lane keeping and, uh, you know. Right. Adaptive cruise control thing, you know, safety features is what yeah. we call them. But, the, but they're going to have to basically keep, they, they can't have to keep their eyes and hands on, you know, on the road. They, they can't be like, trusting this machine at this point, right? They're, 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 there's a high level of risk still there for that. So, um, you know, as far as our coverage in the area, as Kathleen mentioned, we're going to cover broadly the autonomous vehicle size, but also these intelligent cars. Um, you may have may or may not have seen in the news recently uh, that uh, Ford is uh, becoming much more aggressive with their electric pickup, as Kathleen was talking about the electric, the investment in electric. GM is becoming much more aggressive, and they're not talking about autonomous at the moment. We know that they're doing stuff. I mean, Ford and Toyota and all these companies have huge investments in, in autonomous vehicles. Mm-hmm. But what they're selling the market, what they're promising the market right now, are electric vehicles, and they're able, that you can deliver. You know, we can deliver electric vehicles. You know soon, very soon, you know, I don't know how long it takes for them to get their act together, but they will get their act together on that. So that that's kind of 
the the promise and deliver. Exactly. So the last big area that we wanted to talk about on today's podcast, we know this is a long one, but one of our favorite podcasts where we get to talk about, you know, what we've seen and where we, where we see the market uh, going, the forecasts and trends. So the last area that we really wanted to talk about is ethical and responsible AI. This is a hot topic. It continues to be a hot topic. And I think that it's a hot topic for a few reasons. One, it really truly is an important area, but also it's an area that people can easily talk about whether or not they actually know what they're talking about. And that's something that we've seen. So there is a big shift that's underway and it will continue. This is in both government and private sector as well uh, as it as you know, we, we talk about AI ethics, when things should and shouldn't be used, you know, um, all, all that kind of stuff. And enterprises in large numbers, they were, you know, acquiring and implementing various AI tools and platforms. I think at first it kind of was just, what can we do with this? Where's the technology? How's our data? What can we do? Okay, so we've started a few use cases. We've, we've done this. All right, this was great. We saw some return. Now, when you're actually looking to implement it, you need to say, okay, how are we implementing this? Is this going to be acceptable? You know, are, do we have a human in the loop? Are these uh, going rogue? And, you know, we have chatbots that aren't managed and become racist. And, oh my gosh, now what, what kind of, you know, image are we portraying as a company? And I think that we've really started to see a crackdown on this as people become more aware of these situations. Yeah. So um, ethical and responsible AI is definitely a favorite thing for major companies to talk about and for governments to talk about. And as mentioned, we covered it. We produced a, a research report where we analyzed about 63 of these ethical AI frameworks and we compared them and we then realized that they all have holes. And so we came up with some consolidated framework. We put it out there for free and um, we're seeing very little uptake of it. I mean, maybe that's because, you know, we're not the biggest company. We don't have sort of the, the megaphone of some of these either large AI researchers or some of these big companies. That, that's certainly a big part of it. We don't want to pretend that we have that much influence in the world. But also, it's sort of like there's not as much desire to pick it up. We're starting to see the same thing with like we have two major things that we do for training. We have a methodology training called CPMAI, which focuses on doing AI right based on 20 plus years of best practices for running big data analytics projects and especially AI and machine learning. Uh, We are seeing a ton of demand for that. Big groups we've put together, actually in the tail end of 2021, I guess everybody realized they have money in their training budget. They started to spend it on methodology training. But we also have an ethical and responsible AI training. And we have a few people who said, oh, that looks interesting. But they're not going ahead with that. And I think the real point is not to say it's still out there. And we encourage people like this is it's, this is based on our ethical AI framework. And it's definitely the best ethical and responsible AI training you will find out there. But we're finding just a lot of people are paying ethical and responsible AI lip service, either because they. Yes, I was going to say all talk <laughs> and no action. That's yeah. exactly what this is, where they talk about things. <laughs> like I said, whether or not they actually know what they're talking about, they talk about it like they do. And then we say, OK, well, maybe you should take our education or, you know, what what else have you done in this space? And it's nothing, nothing. So it's like, OK, well, that's great. So great that you're talking about it and you're coming up with an ethical framework for your organization and you have no idea what you're doing. 
Yeah. I, I, and, and, there, and there's nothing to it. And um, I don't want to get into all these battles as to what's happened with Google's ethical AI team and the people being like, <laughs> oh, and then this and then that. And I, I mean, like I a lot of it's sort of like, you know what? I mean, I don't I, look, I'm not trying to be mean here, but does anybody trust Google anyways? It's sort of like it's like this ethical. AI, I understand what they're trying to do. And, you know, the, yes. You know, you need to make sure that there are some controls on companies like Google and the new Facebook meta and Microsoft and Amazon. Sure. And so let's have internal controls of people that we've picked yeah. and then fire. OK. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't really inspire much trust, but also it's sort of like, well, you can only they're only going to do so much. It's sort of like, you know, people only regulate themselves as much as it doesn't hurt their business or, exactly. hurt, or hurt whatever they're trying to do, if they're a government or military or defense or intelligence. I mean, like, let's just be honest, right? So the only way we're going to see this is from the outside. And when people start demanding things that companies behave in certain ways that companies can't define themselves, then we'll see some action. And that's what we're not seeing. So, <laughs> so you know, uh, our forecast is, you know, we are not sure if ethical AI will really get real in 2022. We're, we're going to continue to keep an eye on these ethical AI frameworks. You know, there's going to be a lot of eye rolling in our part. Be like, OK, here's yet another one. You're like you realize that we already did this job. We actually had a uh, conversation with this. We know we're at the one hour plus mark here on this podcast. So we're going to kind of wrap it up shortly. But, um, you know, we had a conversation with another organization. So like we're coming up with a framework. And we're like, we already did the analysis. 63 plus frameworks. Here it is. We're like, oh, I didn't know you did that. I'm like, well, OK, well, OK, that's now you do. That's excusable that you don't. But here it is now. So now that you know about it, are you still going to do your own thing that's going to be a, a partial set? Yeah. I'm like, well, th- what are we doing here? <laughs> <laughs> what, okay. are we, what are we doing here? So um, I don't know. I mean, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll basically we'll have another podcast on it. So this will be a preview. I think that's what we're going to do here for the next like minute or two is we'll tell you about some of the other areas that we will be discussing on future podcasts, other markets to basically tantalize you and tease you and show that we will be covering some of these in greater detail. Exactly. So some feedback, you know, we always do love to hear from our listeners. So you can always reach out to us. You can find us on LinkedIn. You can email us info at cognolytica.com. That's info at C-O-G-N-I-L-Y-T-I-C-A.com. We do love hearing from our listeners. And we know that some of the podcast series that we had last year, including our AI and education series, and definitely our AI failure series were incredibly popular and resonated with our audience. We also got feedback that you'd like to hear more of our coverage areas and, you know, specifically digging deeper into some of these. And so that's what we're going to be delivering in 2022. And this was, uh, you know, a preview of some of our some of our coverage areas. But as Ron mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, we have 54 different coverage areas and we only talked about, you know, maybe 12 or so today. And we also track 20,000 plus vendors in the space. The list continues to grow daily, pretty much. But absolutely, when we do reports, it grows by leaps and bounds as we continue to uncover new companies. So we want to briefly talk and, and wrap up this podcast with just talking about what we'll be covering in 2022 and uh, you know help you guys and gals look forward to some of the podcast and coverage areas. So we break down the market into a few different uh, you know verticals and areas of coverage. And so the first is AI infrastructure. So this is, you know, helping you generally build your infrastructure. In there, we're going to talk about AI-optimized compute and hardware, hardware, big data platforms, and also data visualization as well. 
With our AI enabling tech, so these are areas that help, you know, across a broad range of different use cases. We have conversational systems, natural language processing, also computer vision platforms. Will predictive analytics and decision support, this has been a hot area and will continue for us and will continue to focus on that coverage. And then machine reasoning and knowledge graphs and also content intelligence. We have covered content intelligence in the past in some of our research and podcasts, but we're going to dig a little bit deeper into it as well. Then for our horizontal applications, so this really can be applied across many different verticals, voice assistants. I mean, we have done voice assistant benchmarks for a few years. We encourage you to check those out. You can see how intelligent or unintelligent all of them are. They do continue to get better with time, uh, but we'll be digging deeper into that coverage area again. Also, operations intelligence and intelligent personal assistance. You know, where are we? There was a lot of promise and hype a few years ago. Where are we now? We're going to talk about that in some upcoming podcasts. And also advanced robotics. Robotics has been a big area of coverage for us for many years. There are, you know, robotics is hard. And we have a dead pool of companies that we track that have just gone out of business. We continue, we will continue to track that and have some podcasts dedicated to robotics because it's a pretty cool space. And then one of our largest areas is industry and domain applications. So this really is, I mean, you know, we talk about how AI is in just about every single industry. There are many, many industries and we cover all of them. We will specifically in 2022 be talking about adaptive cybersecurity, AI and agriculture, which has been a hot area uh, for us. And, you know, we do write for Forbes as well. Some of those articles have just been really popular in in their coverage and uh, people that are interested in reading and learning more about these spaces. Financial industry, we know finance adopts AI. So we'll talk about how they're adopting AI. AI augmented healthcare. We've talked about this in many podcasts. We're going to be digging deeper into where we've seen things go. You know, the promise that it held, is it still living up to its promise? Pharma and life sciences, also a pretty hot area. AI for device and machine management, intelligent application development, supply chain and logistics. Wow, this has been a big area. Uh, continues to be, you know, with, <laughs> with what's been going on lately. So we're excited for that upcoming, upcoming coverage. Also AI and content production and advertising, customer service and experience. You know, AI has really, really been playing a role in that. And we're going to be digging deeper into those areas. Security industry, energy, manufacturing, uh, human resources as well. AI-enabled human resources. We've seen really, uh, you know, interesting applications there. Some, some notable fails in that space as well and kind of where the market's headed with that. AI-enabled IT service management, also the entertainment industry and their use of AI. That's been uh, really interesting to track and follow. AI-enhanced marketing solutions and sales, legal, uh, real estate, and then also AI for human learning and knowledge. So this is how you're applying AI to help the humans learn better. Insurance, we've seen a lot of a lot of good use cases there. Retail and commerce, definitely seen it there. Can't wait to dig into those podcasts. AI-enabled customer intelligence, and then healthcare operations as well. So the management of, of healthcare. 
And last but not least, we will be spending a lot of time on best practices and understanding for how to best, you know, use and and manage your AI projects. We have seen a, a really big uptick, as Ron mentioned earlier, especially towards the end of 2021 with individuals, but really organizations who say, we need to get a better grasp on how best to manage our AI projects because the way that we're doing it now doesn't work. We have said more companies than we'd like to admit say that the scientific method is the method that they're using to run AI projects. And we really question if that is what they're doing because that is not the best method for running AI projects. So we're going to be- They're not really doing it. I mean, mean, we talk like, they're just just saying the first thing that comes to mind. I know. (laughs) All the way back to their childhood. And if someone said method, they're like, oh, scientific method. It's bogus. Um, Sorry, we're going to be calling you guys out on it. Just don't don't say it. Just don't say it. (laughs) Don't say it. (laughs) Yes, that's all I can please. say. You can say agile. That's actually acceptable. Like we use agile, Nick, and we'll tell you what the gaps are in agile. But 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 uh, let, let, let's make some sense in, in 2022. <laughs> exactly. So you know, so we are really excited for our lineup of 2022 podcasts. We lo- like I said, we love to to have these market forecasts and trends uh, podcasts that we get to share with our audience. So please do listen to this. Go back, listen to it again. We know that this was a long one, but really, really good. These are some of our favorite podcasts. And there was was a lot in here. Uh, Like we said, reach out to us. If there are specific areas that you'd like us to focus on for these podcasts in 2022, let us know. It's going to be focused on all of these different areas that I I shared with you. Um, And we're really going to be digging deeper and we're going to be questioning more. You know, like we said, scientific method, you're not using that. Don't lie to us. We're not accepting that. Do you tell that to your customers? Uh, I doubt it. And so we will be we will be questioning things more and, you know, really, really sharing uh, incredible insights that we're learning in this market as we continue to uncover things. I think really the last thing that we want to say here is that even though we may be sharing these things with you on our podcast, we love sharing these things with you on our podcast. We may only come to this topic once in the year. You know, we may come to one of these topics in August or September. So definitely stay subscribed. But we cover these, these topics every day in our research, market intelligence. So if you are in the position of looking, you, you need this market intelligence for your job. Either you're a buyer of the technology and you really need to keep up to date, or you're a seller of the technology, you're producing solutions in one or more of these markets, or maybe you're an investor or some other interested party. Um, that's what our COG Access Market Intelligence Services, we will link to that in the show notes. We understand that they may not be applicable or, or appropriate for all of our listeners. Many of you are sort of like in the weeds of making AI happen, you're not really part of the strategic decision making. But for those of you who are, um, you know, we do have, you know, we're an analyst company. We have an analyst service. We encourage you to take a look at our COGX. The service, as mentioned, we are publishing research every day and every single one of these topic areas on a constant basis, publishing research snapshots. We will also link to a few of the snapshots. If you don't have the budget or ability or interest in all of our coverage areas, you can pick up individual research and individual uh, points of time, <laughs> uh, different coverage areas uh, for uh, basically buying a PDF. And you can kind of read it, read it that way if you want to do it. So that is, um, so like, you know, thank you for staying with us, sticking with us on this hour and a half. I don't know how long we are on 20 minutes podcast. So, you know, we will, we will dive deeper into all these areas. Exactly. Thanks so much for joining us. We're so excited to be kicking off 2022 with, with all of our listeners. And we're really excited for the year ahead. 
So as always, if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please do make sure to rate us on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. We definitely look at how everybody rates us, you know, make sure that we're, we're doing our best and we like the feedback that you give us as well. We definitely do, uh, do look and pay attention to that. Also, there was a lot that we had discussed and there's a lot that I will be linking in the show notes, including some of our snapshot report our snapshots, some older, uh, previous snapshot reports and some podcasts that we encourage you to listen to, as well as a link to cog access, which is our market intelligence subscription and also our CPMAI, Cognitive Project Management for AI Methodology and Certification. So thank you so much for listening to this podcast, and we'll catch you at the next episode. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter, and more, please visit our website at Cognolytica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group. And make sure to join the Cognolytica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright by Cognolytica. All rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.